Hi, I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand. The crux of this show and our conversations ladders back to people and companies and this desire for building true relationship at every stage of the customer journey. It's something that is more critical now than ever. And my guest today understands this literally better than anyone I know. I consider him to be the bona fide expert in the industry, and you're going to hear more why. If you work in customer experience and you don't know who Shep Hyken is, I really think that's like being an actor and not knowing who Meryl Streep or George Clooney is. Shep is the chief amazement officer of Shepard Presentations. He is one of the most sought after thought leaders, experts, and speakers in customer service and customer experience, which are two different things. And we're going to talk about that. And he is also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author. The list of books that he has uh, written is so impressive, and he's got a new one coming out soon. And we're going to talk about that as well. Shep, welcome to On Brand. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I feel I have a true celebrity uh, guest today. Honestly, you are somebody that I have admired for so long and is so looked up into in this industry. I know you've worked with brands across all different uh, verticals and industries. Your experience is really impressive. Can you tell us a little bit about your origin story? How did you get involved in this world sure. of customer service and I mean, customer experience? We're going to go way, way back to when I was 12 years old and I started my first business, which was a birthday party magic show business. And I was hired to do my first birthday party. I was paid $15. I think $15. Yeah. And it was a Wednesday afternoon after school. Uh, they even gave me a little tip, an extra dollar. Wow. I must have been good that day. Uh, but when I came home, my mom said, what are you going to do now? And I thought the correct answer was homework because it was a school night. And she said, no, you're going to go write a thank you note to the people that just paid you a lot of money. And back then it was a lot of money. <laughs> so I did that. And my dad said, that's a great idea. Next week, I want you to actually uh, call the parents that you wrote the thank you note to and thank them again and ask them, how'd you like the show? What tricks did you like? Get some feedback. And if you do this enough, you'll find out what tricks people are liking and don't like or what they'll talk about and won't talk about. And if they're not talking about it, then get rid of it and replace it with better tricks. Now, I had no idea. That's called process improvement. So the whole thing I was learning at age 12 was customer service and experience lessons. And uh, I believe today that that is you know, really some of the basics of any company's experience that they're creating and the strategy behind it. Number one, show appreciation of the customer. Number two, get the feedback, voice of the customer, whatever you want to call it. Number three, act on that feedback and figure out ways to use it to make a better experience happen. So uh, when I did finally graduate college, and I'd had other jobs, I worked uh, on a, uh, at a gas station, worked in retail, worked in restaurants, did my magic shows, eventually worked in nightclubs and did corporate events, even worked on a towboat one summer, which wow. that's a job to talk about for another another episode of this show. <laughs> It's the hardest job I ever had. Anyway, um, I, I thought, what am I going to do? I saw a couple of motivational speakers, Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. You may or may not be familiar with them, but back in the uh, 80s, they were they were big, huge, and they would fill arenas. And I went and saw them, and I thought, wow, I bet I can do that. I had the entertainment background, plus I had this desire to create this great experience for anybody that I worked with or anybody that was going to hire me. So I wrote the speech, and that's where it all started. 
Wow, that's amazing. Uh, do you still have a love for for magic today? Is that Carrie? I do. I do. Yeah. And in many of my speeches, I will actually incorporate one or two. They're not really like, you know, here's a box that's empty. Let's make flowers appear kind of a trick. But once yeah. in a while, you know, instead of telling a story, I might do something that, you know, has a little magic feel to it. It's pretty good. Well, and I know it's the, it's the sugar that makes the medicine go down. Uh, I love that. Um, and I love the this uh, background. I mean, it's pretty apparent, too. I've seen you speak and heard you speak, and you can feel that entertainment, that presentation um, background. I uh, feel like I'm a kindred spirit with you on that front, too. I was a theater minor. I did improv for like five years, oh, too. Wow. So I, it comes in handy every single day in every aspect of my life um, in terms of building connection, reading a room and whatnot. The magic, you know, you've got a number of books out and you have magic in one of the titles, Moments of Magic. And I think that's that was my first, first book. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, how many you've done since. And I'm really curious about your process and your newest one coming out. But when I think about magic and I think about customer experience, I think that you're right, that there's a direct tie there. Um, what is going to make it memorable? What's going to make it personable? What takes it from meeting to exceeding expectations? I mentioned at the intro, there is a difference between customer service and customer experience. How would you define the difference between the two? Sure. So service well, first of all, I believe that customer service is not a department. It's a philosophy. But let's talk about what most people think of service. Service is the interaction that you have typically with a, a person at the company. Sometimes it's a digital experience. Today, you can get customer service by going online and chatting or doing email back and forth. But it's the interaction. How fast are they going to respond to you? Are they going to be friendly? Are they going to give you the information? If you're in the sales process, it's not just about service when things go wrong or you have a question or problem, but how are you treated during the entire process, the interactions that you have? Now, experience is everything beyond those, what I would call more people-to-people -people interactions. And it could be as simple as going to a website and experiencing how easy or how difficult that website might be. It can be when you get the box of merchandise and you open it up and it's like, beautiful. You love it. Think about when you get your your uh, your iPhone or even, you know, one of the uh, other types of brands of phones. They've made opening the box a cool experience. That has nothing to do with the interaction with people. But as soon as you've got a question, a problem, you want to buy something else, uh, there's follow-up. That's part of the service experience, not the overall experience. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And you are um, speaking to my heart because I couldn't agree with you more. I I, mean, I find myself in my role, I'm in conversations all the time where I'm trying to break down that mindset of not thinking in silos, not thinking of it from a department perspective. Think about it from the perspective of the customer. You are the brand, you are the company, you have a relationship that expands um, from getting to know you to deciding to date you, so to speak, to being married, to sustaining the marriage, if you will. Um, and I think that that's something like we like to break this down into stages. But when I think about loyalty, retention and advocacy, I think those things are happening throughout the course of the relationship. You mentioned the unboxing experience or an in-store experience. I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, I'm a words person. I'm a writer by trade. And I love, I don't think that their loyalty and advocacy are synonymous. I think you um, have to have loyalty in, over, in order to have advocacy. What are your thoughts on that? How do these two 
kind of sit together and what makes them different and what makes them united? Sure. So advocacy is when you're willing to sing the praises of that company to others. I actually wrote a book called, uh, it's titled The Cult of the Customer. We re-released it last year. It's about 12 years old, the original, and I updated it. I, I put new examples in. I actually took out an example of a guy because he's in jail right now, and I just thought it'd be good to get rid of him. <laughs> but uh, I digress. Uh, and and the subtitle was create an experience. Uh, gosh, I'm going to give you the exact subtitle. Something to the effect of create an experience that um, well creates customer evangelists. And the it, that's more than just I love doing business with them. It's I love doing business with them, and I want to talk about it to everybody. And if you have ever walked away from a restaurant that you just love to go to, and they treat you so well. That's the kind of advocacy you would love your customers to talk about related to your company. It doesn't matter if it's B2B, B2C, it's anything. So uh, the loyalty aspect of it, in order to create that advocacy, you've got to create some level of connection, some emotional connection. Um, and if it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of, you know, I love, by the way, you said, you know, you're dating, then you, you, you know, you get engaged and then you get married and then you, you hold on to the marriage and then you hope it's, <laughs> that was a great metaphor, but let's kind of talk about the stages in the customer journey. Number one, I've got to get you to want to do business with me again the next time you need whatever it is that I sell. So my goal is to get you to become a repeat, uh, re, you know, do repeat business with me. Mm -hmm. Next, if I could turn that repeat business into loyal business, how do I do that? I have to create some kind of a connection. And the way that's done is through something emotional. And by the way, when I use the word emotional, it's you want people, if somebody says, I love doing business with them. Well, love is an emotional word. And like is not quite as emotional. Yeah, they're okay. I like them. I, yeah, they're all right. But I love them is a whole nother level. Why do I love them? You've created an experience that maybe it, it creates confidence. Maybe you called me back every time you said you were going to call me back. Maybe when I reached out to you, you responded to me within an hour and not two days later. Those are the types of things that create this emotional connection because that emotion comes from trust and confidence. Mm -hmm. Now, once I'm there, am I willing to evangelize? There's a great question in, in customer satisfaction surveys called the Net Promoter Score. NPS, the NPS question on a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you would recommend me? Now, it's one thing for somebody to say, well, 10, I really enjoy doing business with you. Of course, I'd recommend you. Now, if I'm a salesperson and I see that, I'm going to call my customer up and say, hey, you gave us a 10. You said you'd recommend us. Who would you recommend us to? Which essentially, they are now becoming my brand advocate. They're going to give me a hot lead, a warm referral, whatever you want to call it. Now, I know this is stretching outside of the customer service experience world, but I believe when you create experiences where customers are willing to share their friends' names and phone numbers, their colleagues' names and phone numbers, or just talk about you in casual conversation with others, that's when you know you've created that connection. You've gone beyond loyalty and into advocacy. I couldn't agree with you more. And there's something really, when it's happening organically like that, it's actually, it's organic in the way that's happening as a result of putting in the time, the personalization, creating the emotional connection versus sort of um, paying the customer to be there. I mean, what do you think about that? What do you think about uh, loyalty programs? Do those things work? Do they need to evolve and change? So great question. And um, 
people call them loyalty programs just mm -hmm. like you call them and i call them marketing programs that's right difference mm -hmm. uh if i and let's just take it in the most simplistic way i'll give you a couple of examples uh, I go to a restaurant, they go, hey, you, have you been here before? No, do you have our punch card? Five punches and the sixth one's free, okay? That's a marketing program. I might be coming back because I want that sixth sandwich. <laughs> oh, it's like a game to me. How about frequent flyer miles? You know, the one of the reasons I choose to fly on this airline over that airline is most of my miles are over here, right? But what if they took away the miles? Would I still be willing to fly on that airline every time? You know, and I'm not saying that another airline has miles. I'm just saying if there were not any miles, which airline would you really choose? That's who you're going to be loyal to. If you're saying, well, I'm loyal to the schedule that the airlines provide, ah, then it doesn't matter what the airline is. It matters which airline is more convenient. Speaking of convenience, why does a customer go to that store instead of one that's a little bit further away? Do they really love that store or is it just because it's closer? And if the competition came in a little bit closer than to the store you're currently going to, would you switch then to the closer store? So now you're looking at, you know, a competitive uh, area because of logistics, you know, geography, if you will. So I wrote this book a while back called The Convenience Revolution. And there were six levels of or six um, areas of convenience, if you will, six convenience principles. No friction is one of them. Using mm -hmm. technology, self-service, subscription model. Uh, delivery, and then uh, logistical accessibility. Are you closer to me? Are your hours more convenient to me? If I work all day and the only time I can go and visit your place is in the evening, or if I am calling customer support and your hours are from eight to five and I'm working all day, you're going to lose me as a customer. Uh, I, I joke about banks, how bankers hours are like, what, you know, 830 to 4.30 or 5. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking to myself, if they want, and then you see them advertise that they'd like you to come and do banking with them. Well, I mean, they're obviously marketing to the unemployed at that particular <laughs> time because those are the people available between 8.30 and 5. You know, people that are working, that's why one of the, the uh, case studies in the book is a bank that stayed open until 6 o'clock every night and was open on Saturdays because it was appealing to those that had to work during the day. Anyway, that's a long answer to a great question. Well, and it's, it's you're right. I mean, there are marketing programs and those can be replicated. Anyone can do a points program or a yep. punch card. And I, you know, as a customer myself, what brings me back, those things they do, they're there, they're matter. I certainly think about it with travel. I know who my hotels are. I know who my airline brands are that I frequent. But I will make a change um, depending on something that goes great and or something that goes wrong and isn't fixed correctly. You talked yep. about love and how that's a strong word. And I, I love that you brought up the word love because I, I was actually listening uh, this weekend to a conversation with Esther Perel, the psychotherapist, and she was being interviewed by Jay Shetty on um, his show on purpose. And she talked about love. And it's, I've been thinking about this because she's talking about a dynamic between people. And I feel like what she had to say, though, really relates to this landscape that you and I are talking about. She mentioned that love is a verb and it's not a permanent state of enthusiasm. It's not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. I'm paraphrasing her here. And she talks about how a life story is different than a love story. Um, it's about building something. So I can't stop thinking about that. And then this world that you and I work in, I think that there's a correlation there, um, you know, in terms of building that emotion. How did we get here? How did things become more emotional 
between the customer or maybe even the employee experience as well and the companies and brands and organizations? Where did that start to turn? Wow, it's a great question. Let's let's go back to that question you just asked me about the marketing program versus the loyalty program, because that's really what it's about. By the way, I just want to say there's nothing wrong with having a great marketing program that drives customers to come back to you again and again. As long as you understand why they're coming back, go for it and get them to come back as often as possible. But loyalty is to the next level. It's the difference between like and love. And I think there, you know, I talked about it earlier with our in our conversation, that emotional connection. So one of the things that drives that, as I mentioned, is is an, is confidence. Uh, I trust something's going to happen when uh, and we'll, and actually I even go further back. You, we talked about moments of magic, my first book. And by the way, uh, I talk about moments of magic in every single book that I write because I believe the moment of misery, which is a problem, the moment of mediocrity, which is an average experience, and the moment of magic, which is anything positive, is foundational and fundamental to every experience you create for your customer. So our goal is to create moments of magic positive experiences. Sometimes they're amazing over the top, but usually they're just tiny little bit better than average. I, I think I shared with you a moment ago that, you know, if I call you back in under an hour versus a day or two, mm -hmm. uh, people go, wow, that was fast. Uh, but isn't that what we're supposed to do? So if the customer says about us and they describe us, well, they're always so knowledgeable. They're they're always friendly. They always get back to me quickly. Even when I have a problem, I know I can always count on them. When you get that word always in front of something positive, you are on your way to creating amazement. You're on your way to creating that emotional connection where customers say, I love doing business with them. So think about that. Uh, I actually just wrote an article uh, that I, I took a twist on this whole concept of always. And I said, what's your always concept? What do customers say about you that always happens? And ask them, is there something that we always do? What is it? Well, you're always friendly. Okay, that's wonderful. I like that. That's that's nice. The competition probably has friendly people too. Can you give me something else? Is there something we do that's different? You always call me back quickly. Well, we know for a fact that that's pretty special in business. Uh, I once was doing um, was up for a speech with a particular client. And one of my good friends was the other speaker that was competing against me. And I got the job and I asked, why did I get the job? And the gentleman said, you call me back faster than he does. <laughs> I said, how much faster? He goes, well, you usually call me back in like an hour or so. Sometimes he's a day or two. And that's no joke. Uh, I actually have just written an, an article for my Forbes column that talks about the slow response times mm -hmm. of different businesses. And sometimes they think three to five days is acceptable. If I'm emailing you in a question uh, or a problem, if I wanted it answered in three days, I would have waited three days to email it or, or online, you know, text it to you or picked up the phone and call you and left a message. I wouldn't have wanted to wait three days, but that's what's happening. Well, and, and it really does tie back to this uh, idea of how we are in relationship with each other and how we are in relationship with brands and companies. You mentioned you're responsive. You were more responsive than the other speaker you were up against, right? And I'm like, I'm sorry, everything keeps coming back to this sort of dating marriage analogy. But, you know, if you were uh, getting to know somebody and maybe dating somebody and somebody was responsive to you and somebody just sort of ghosted, 
<laughs> back to you after a couple of days, you probably wouldn't want to go out on a second date with them. I mean, there really are. Have you, have you ever been ghosted on a date? Have I ever been ghosted? Um, no, I don't be. think so. I have the ultimate ghost story on a date. Really? I think I was in college and uh, I met this girl out at club and, and, you know, like we really hit it off and she needed a ride home. I took her home. I pet her little dog and then I left and we agreed that we'd go out like Wednesday night and she gave me her number and I called her and she said, fine. I said, I'll call you when I'm on my way. But, uh, you know, I'm because I wasn't there was this window of time and I called her no answer. But I knew where she lived. So I got closer. I called her again. Nothing. I showed up. The apartment was empty. She was gone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Ultimate ghosting of dates. That is ghosting. I was just trying to, I'm like, I remember I definitely had friends break up with boyfriends, but that was in like middle school and high school. And I, I did have a friend one time call and pretend to be me to quit a job, but I was 18 years old. It okay. wasn't very mature. <laughs> just didn't want to deal with it. I was avoidant. I've come a, a long way since then too. But I mean, you know, it's funny to look at this stuff and, and relationship. Okay. Let's talk about the opposite of ghosting. Let's talk about uh, I'll be back. Let's talk about your I'll be new back. Hey, and this, yes. Yes. Here so, it is. I'll, I'll be back. back. The latest book. Tell us Check about the book. Tell us Subtitle, about Subtitle, how to get your customers to come back again and again. That's the idea. We want our customers to say, I'll be back. But here, one of the things I talk about in the book is people say it, but do they actually do it? It's an important measurement to know what behavior is. Uh, one of the chapters I talk about is the most important measurement in business, and that is, does the customer actually come back? We can ask them, uh, would you be willing to recommend us? Uh, are you happy with their service? Were you happy with their product? Those are history lessons. That's looking in the rearview mirror. And maybe it's just yesterday, but it's still history. Now, you can learn a lot from history. You can learn if you're doing an effective job. You can learn if it's, if you know, what's going on there. But you have to understand the behavior. And so if a customer comes back, are they, you know, what do they do when they come back? Are they spending the same amount of money, more money? How frequently do they come back? Uh, there's different levels of return customers. Um, give you an example. Then, uh, by the way, where really I started thinking about this is when I worked with this client and they were in the hair salon business. They own chains all across the country, franchises of hair salons. And they measure how frequently, you know, the average, you know, male customer comes back once a month or once every six weeks. And the female customer comes back, you know, a little more often. And it's really not so much even male as female as to type of hair they have. Long hair, curly hair, short hair you know, how often do they get colored? So they know what normal behavior is for a repeat loyal customer. And they wanna see how close they can move the first time customers or just early in the relationship customers toward normalcy of loyalty. That's how they measure it, behavior. Sure, they wanna know, did we do a good job? Was, you know, everything to your satisfaction? Was it clean? Was it quick? You know, did you have to wait a long time, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, history. We want to actually measure town. So getting people to say, I'll be back is recognizing the behaviors. And by the way, in the book, I'll be back. We have the foundational chapter on moments of truth, misery, magic, misery, <laughs> uh, mediocrity, and more. Well, I love that. And I think it's, it's, it's not a nice to have anymore. What you're talking about to me is, is, is mission critical, business critical. I think that this was that that was already happening well before this experience of 2020, which, of course, 
did have an impact. Um, now, this book, did the last year um, play a role or an impact in the final outcome? I know your book is coming out in September. You can pre-order yep. it now. We'll definitely talk about how to do that. But what happened? Was there anything that you had to, I hate the word pivot because everyone's using it all the time, like digital transfer. How about this? Let's say, did you have to become flexible? There we go. I love it. Got a word. You turn your back on people when you pivot. I know. It's like, I do. I feel like I'm like, turn away from you. Yeah. Nimble, right, right. agile. So flexible means I'm going to yeah. turn my body, but I'm still able to see if I just. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, how did you turn? What turns were in your, your route for this book? You know, it's really interesting. I, uh, I wanted to make sure that the content of the book was evergreen from the standpoint mm -hmm. of it wouldn't matter if it was the pandemic we were just coming out of, if we we're in the best of times. Um, if you look at if you look at 2008, nine, the financial crisis, 2001, we had you know 9/11. Mm -hmm. There have been, um, and by the way, I would say the pandemic. Oh my gosh, you know I don't know did any of us ever think we would experience that. All of these problems created great opportunities for companies that were doing it right. So, uh, but. The short answer to your question is no, the pandemic and what's happened last year has not impacted what I wrote about in the book. As a matter of fact, what I tried to do, uh, because I was writing it, actually starting it before the pandemic, um, but um, as we got through there, I want to make sure I didn't reference it because I didn't want to date the book. The concepts in this book, uh, for the most part, they are um, they're timeless. It doesn't matter. It will be five years from now, 50 years from now, you're still going to want to get your customers to say, I'll be back. And there's going to be more techniques on how to do it, which means there's probably more books in my future. But this content today is relevant as it ever was. Uh, matter of fact, there's a chapter in the book called Nothing Has Changed. And what I mean by that is a customer embarks on doing business with you, or maybe they, you are doing business with them and they have a question or comment. So they've got a customer service issue. No matter what, at the end of that interaction, at the end of, of whatever that is when they finally do buy or when they finally get their questions answered or their problems resolved, they want to be happy. So they start here, they end here. The start and the end are exactly the same since the beginning of time. Now, in the middle, some of that's changed. We've got digital experiences now. We create self-service experiences. There was a time, and it was a long time ago, I don't even know if I remember it where, no, I do know it, I remember a little bit. I would pick up the phone and make a reservation to go on a flight on an airline. And today, why would I wanna do that? I can just go online, but I have the same issue. I want to go on a trip, I wanna get there. And what's happening in between has changed, but ultimately things are still the same. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I remember that my stepmother was a travel agent for over 20 years. So she was that person you were calling, you know, and, yep. and you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth in terms of this, um, you know, the evolution of digital options. That's that's the the world I, I speak to every day. That's what, the, what I oversee for our organization is social CX, social strategy and solutions, including social networks, messaging, uh, forums, review sites, and that self-service piece, which I really think is the nucleus of all of that. Because if you've got really strong self-service content, you got a consumer today that likes to problem solve right. on their own. Right. That's an ideal state. Then you you free up your customer experience, um, you know, customer service and customer experience teams to attend to those more nuanced situations. But I often am talking to clients and brand partners who 
are still trying to get that foundation right. You know, um, what do you think, you know, in terms of those digital options and self-service, is this more important now than ever? And would you start with self-service if you were kind of behind the times on this as a brand, what would you recommend? Sure. As a brand, I would recommend going to the phone first. The phone is still today's greatest option. I have, by the way, um, I know we've talked about the book and you mentioned there is a pre-sale opportunity. I'll just mention right up front, just because you mentioned it, don't not to blow over it, but I'm going to get you, you'll see where I'm going to go in a minute. If you buy the book today, even though it doesn't come out, you get the ebook downloaded instantly. Well, almost instantly. You have to do a couple of clicks. And the idea behind that is I don't want you to have to wait till September to get your customers to say, I'll be back. But if you go to my website, which is hiking.com, where you'll see information about the book as well, there, if you uh, fill out a form, uh, it just, that way we can email you my uh, 2021 ACA, Achieving Customer Amazement Study. This is free, doesn't cost anything, but there is some information about communication preferences. Hmm. And here's the thing. Yes, customers want digital support and online support, but the number one, and, and it's broken down by ages as well, customers want telephone. Next is email. Next is chat. Next is texting. Then an app that your brand might have. Hmm. And the bottom is social media, which by the way, is still coming on strong. Baby boomers, older folks, 88% prefer the phone versus 53%. That's the first option, okay? Email, believe it or not, is the first option preferred by Gen Zs. So depending upon your age, and this might be good information if, depending upon your business to have to understand what communication preferences you have. Mm -hmm. We also talked about self-service technology versus human to human. 41% choose digital self-service options as a frequently, you know, like frequently asked questions or a video tutorial, they would prefer that as the first way out, while 59% would prefer to call the company and talk to a live agent. So you can see 59 to 41, that gap has been closing every year and eventually it's going to cross over. But that's a good place to start. Yeah. That's great advice. And, you know, I think it also begs for the argument that we were talking about earlier about breaking down this mindset of this being departments behind the scenes, a collaborative strategy is, is the best strategy. So, you know, you might not think that does marketing care what you're hearing um, on the support phone calls? Yes, because there I think there are insights there that can be fed into go to market strategies and product development. Same thing from social listening across all stages of the journey, which, you know, is kind of where I start. You also talked about data. You talked about behavioral data in addition mm -hmm. to, um, you know, other kind of, there's a lot of different data points, right? That we're trying to like pull together here. So that's a, there's a lot of things to kind of keep in mind. Are there industries right now that you think are getting it right? And, and why are they getting it right? I think the government is excelling in customer service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, wow, I was so not expecting that answer at all. <laughs> Seriously, the government is actually attempting to deliver a better level of service. Um, it, it was President Obama that actually started this idea that maybe we need to have a customer service czar. Uh, mm -hmm. Trump's administration actually talked about having uh, the chief experience officer. And I think now Biden is following up on that as well. So it's actually, I love it. It's like bipartisan customer experience. It's, it's a beautiful great. Uh, But seriously, uh, the government has been little by little uh, getting better. However, it's still so far behind 
even the improvements that they've made have been a struggle and customers, constituents, citizens still look at it. But the companies that seem to do it right, you know, if you go to uh, a magazine like Business Week that just recently in the last month or so had the top, I know it's 25 brands, and actually they broke it down into different industries. Uh, you can find out who those are, but you know who they are. They're the Amazons. They're the Apples. They're the, um, you know, uh, and actually we did a word. We asked as, as part of our survey, and by the way, we asked a thousand people uh, waited to the U.S. Census what, you know, these questions. So it, it had to do with all ages, ethnicity, gender, uh, geography, and even uh, financial. And if you ask who number one is, give me their top three companies. It was Amazon, Walmart, and Target in that order, followed by Apple, Google, Nike, Verizon, Costco, Chick-fil-A, and Disney. Okay, mm -hmm. so those rounded out the top 10. But you also have B2B players in there. Uh, granted, they're not uh, because there's such a, a much larger number of companies to choose from when it's consumers. When you get to customers or clients of businesses, you know, all you got to do is go to your industry meetings, your associations, and you're going to hear about who the best companies to do business with are. So anyway, those are the, the consumer types of companies that are doing it. One other comment that the best companies to do business with are often the same companies you'd want to work for. You go to glassdoor.com and you will see a direct correlation between great companies that give great ratings to the leadership and management and customers who give great ratings about the businesses they do business with. You know, that is a great point and uh, a nice way to kind of bring this all together. Honestly, I mean, I could have like a six part series with you. We should go pitch that to HBO. We should, um, we should. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Hey, I got, I'll be back. Yes, I know. And uh, I mean, and the, well, the, the cadence at which that you're publishing is, you know, it's so impressive too. So, um, but I love, I love what you said about that, you know, how the kind of company sort of operates that glass door um, kind of review is just as important. And that's kind of a great way to kind of pull this together. The other um, kind of undercurrent of the show is I love talking with people about purpose and not just as a marketing slogan, how is it showing up in your leadership, how you treat your employees and your teams and your customer as well? Um, where does purpose fall in terms of driving that I'll be back mentality? Sure, it's all in the culture. It's all it's all baked into the culture. And one of the things we talk about, uh, and it's there is a process in the book in one of the, the chapters on culture, but I talk about for a company to have an internal, I call it a, um, uh, a North Star to go to. You know, the Ritz-Carlton, it's all about where ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Those are nine words. Everybody memorizes those words. They know what it means. And then they're trained over and over again to deliver on that. Uh, so I believe every company needs that internal, I call it a mantra, one sentence or less that defines what you want that customer to experience. So, you know, we can talk about purpose and when you look at vision statements and and purpose statements and and you know value statements, that's great. They're usually company wide. But what is the purpose and what you want to achieve specifically to the customer experience? And if you can come up with a simple statement that defines that, you can share it with your customers if you want. You don't have to. Uh, but then underneath that, there's these non-negotiable standards that you have. That's really important. Um, while this is, uh, a, it's it's in the book, but it's not quite this direct, the six steps that I like to think of is you define what it is that you want as far as that 
uh, purpose statement or credo, mantra, whatever you want to call it, one sentence or less. Number two, you communicate it over and over again. By the way, it's not a theme. It doesn't last for one month, one year. It lasts hopefully forever. Uh, number three is you train everybody to it. And I mean everybody. People in a warehouse need to understand what the company's about just as much as somebody on the front line, even though the people in the warehouse will seldom ever see a customer if they even see a customer. Number four, and here's where leadership and management become role models. And that's exactly what it is. They are the showcase, the role model about how behavior should be. And to that point, I was going to bring up Disney as a great example. When Walt Disney was alive, he would go into the theme park and he would walk around and he would talk to people. He'd see what was going on. But if he saw a piece of trash, he picked it up and he threw it away. And he actually referred to that as stooping to excellence. He said, if I pass that piece of trash by, I give permission for all of the other cast members. That's their, their name for employees. I give permission for all of them to pass by it. So I am the role model. I stoop to excellence. I want everybody else to do it. So number four is you're the role model. Number five is as a leader or manager, you have to keep people in alignment with what that mantra is. And number six, when it works, let people know it, celebrate it, tell them they're doing a great job, make them feel good about the hard work that they do for your company. So those are basically six steps. And those are in the book, but they're kind of mixed in that culture chapter. You'll find them in there. I love that. And a uh, great example, great advice. I just finished reading um, Lee Cockrell's book, um, Creating Magic yes. I love the Disney um, advice too, but your mm -hmm. book, let's, uh, let's as we wrap things up, uh, remind us again um, where we can get it, how we can get it. And um, are you going to be back on the road? Uh, I am on the road. Yeah. I am you actually in are. between trips as we speak. Now, last week I was at the conference for the professional speakers, National Speakers Association, but I am heading to the exciting city of Cleveland later this week, uh, or yeah, uh, later this week. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think what day it is today. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, I'll be back in Cleveland in a few weeks, ironically, uh, for another meeting. And where do I go in between? I go up to I go up to New York. Um, oh, great. So yeah, I'm getting around. I'm vaccinated, wearing masks, being cautious, washing yeah. my hands as diligently as I did a year ago during when everybody said all you need to do is touch a door handle and you could die. Uh, <laughs> So, and and maybe that's true, but you know what, if it is or it isn't, I'm not sure we should be washing our hands anyway. By the way, that's one thing I've noticed. More people are washing their hands when they're in the restroom than ever before. It makes me feel safer. Hey, that's a, that's a byproduct <laughs> of the last year. I will gladly take it. Somebody, I, I was traveling constantly too before mm -hmm. on the pandemic. And um, I know that'll start to pick back up again. So excited about your book. I was thinking about what? you being kind of on tour. I'm looking behind you. You've got you know, I know you are a guitar player, you're a musician. I know how much you love sports. I even brought my my glass of water I chose today. My receptacle, my drinking receptacle is a hockey because I am a huge Detroit Red Wings fan. So I've got Brendan Shanahan and Brett Hall on my yep. limited edition glass from Hardee's, which is not even around anymore. I'm not quite sure. But um, yeah, so I was thinking about you being on tour um, on, in your own right, too. So, um, well, thanks. Yeah, I enjoy. I get to play music every once in a while. And I played hockey this morning. Uh, so still playing after all these years. But um, you asked about the book. Uh, just mm -hmm. go either go to Amazon and type in. And it's real important. If you type in I'll be back, you might get a lot of political messages from uh, the last administration. If you type in I'll be back book or you type in my name, you'll find it. But if you go to I'll be back book.com, no apostrophe in the I L L because 
They don't do that on websites. That's right. I'll be back book.com and you just buy it there. Uh, we will not only get you the book when it comes out, but you will immediately get the ebook. And that's really cool. My publisher, very few publishers will allow this, but they would actually allow me for this book and my last couple of books to uh, include the ebook for anybody that pre-purchased the book. Pretty cool. I think that's awesome. What a, what a great incentive too. And th I'm so excited to read this and can't wait to see what you come up with next. I feel like every conversation with you is a masterclass in customer service and customer experience. And Thank you. So honored to um, have this conversation with you and for your time and your insights. We will check that book out. And thanks again, Shep. All right. My pleasure. Can't wait to come back. Like, like, like the book title. I'll be That's back. That's right. There you go. Thanks so much. <laughs>